Hey y'all, it's Danielle, and welcome to episode 35 of Ain't No Free Lunch. We've been gone, but y'all know, life's been hard. Tykeen and I, along with our special guest, Elliot Bell, hey bae, talk the recent unrest around the country sparked by the brutalization and murder of black lives by police. We go from the way it's shaping our conversations, changing our perspectives, to how it's galvanizing us personally. This week, also, we're recording from the Richmond WRIR Studios, 97.3 FM. Shout out to our producer, Melissa Vaughn, for the hookup. We very much so use this as a processing conversation, and we're glad you're here for the ride. Our solutions this week aren't exhaustive. They're just a start. But we're happy to be here, and thanks for kicking it with us. Let's eat. We love! I was about to say, are you going to start us off, or are we just going to look at each other awkwardly? Welcome back. We were pretty consistent for a while, and I think we've only taken off, what, like a month, maybe? Yeah, but, I mean, today marks day number 21 of the protest, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had to take some time off. Welcome back, everybody. Hopefully you all took some time off for yourselves as well. Things have been hella crazy. But before we kind of get started, we do have an impromptu guest today. And so I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself for you all. Tell us who you are, what you do, how excited you are to be here. How you're affiliated with Ain't No Free Lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What's up, world? Uh, My name is Elliot Bell. I'm actually Danny's partner in uh, real life. So... Not the digital world. I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm happy to be here on the podcast. Rough Raleigh. With y'all. Rough Raleigh. 919 Raleigh. <laughs> hey, <laughs> we'll leave them at. Since you said that, <laughs> can we talk about like North Carolina is really the only place in the country where the whole state, they shout out area codes. That's very true. Very I remember when I went to college, it was like, Two five two seven zero four. Like they just, like shout them out because I mean we, them out. we refer to regions as like seven five seven eight zero four like that. But, but they like... shout them out like in the club. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, it's almost like they throwing up sets with this area code. Yeah, no, really bizarre. I mean, each area code has its own distinct flavor. I guess it's the best way to go about it. So you really just want to be proud of your own. Uh, <laughs> inside the state, it's a good in-state rivalry. Outside, well, that, we try to go for everyone. So That makes so much more sense because the first time that we like communicated via phone through text message, he was so offended because I was like, 919, where that at? I had no idea. And he was like, are you joking? Are you... And I was like, don't nobody know what area code that is. It's a pretty but, popular place. Oh, but Apparently. <laughs> yeah, apparently. I mean, Danielle, I think you're a little bit younger, so you probably never had to, like, memorize a number. <laughs> I do. I still have several numbers memorized. Thank you. Um, but, I mean, if you memorize numbers, like, area codes would stick out, especially area codes that were, like, they had two of the same digit, like 252-919-434. Crib. <laughs> 757. 804. Crib. Okay. I can do it too. I, I'm, it's not the same though. <laughs> I remember yes, all is. of Virginia used to be 804. At some point, exactly. And that's the thing. They all they all were once us. So, you know, you got the origination that comes from there. Is origination a word? Am I making up words on here? Uh, it's a word. I don't know if it's the one that you're looking for. It's, but it's probably. A word. Yeah, it's probably not. Yes. Yeah, so we're really excited to have Elliot here just so you all 
know that my partner is not an imaginary uh, character floating off into the wind. But it has been, as Tykeen said, like roughly 21 days since the start of the protests. It's been several months since the COVID outbreak. We're in the middle of two crises in this country. Oh, yeah. And it's it's what's really interesting to me is I keep hearing people say it and particularly like that, like racism just popped up yesterday. They're like we haven't been in a crisis for 401 years. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and counting. And counting. Which has been kind of just like jarring and flooring. But the way that this one has kind of rocked the nation is something that I have not seen in my lifetime. I've been through several I want to I want to call them uprisings of, you know, uprisings of the people. But this one just feels different. Yeah, I think it's partly because it's on video, right? Like there's no way to deny it. And I mean, you're a little bit too young to remember this. Here but we kind of saw this with Rodney King, right? It was yeah, one of those I things am too where, young to remember that, actually. <laughs> it was like when people actually saw it and then they saw those people walk. Yeah. It's like. Oh, my God, I can't believe that this is happening. Like, no, we've been telling you all along that this is happening. Right. I don't know. I feel like, though, this is still different, right? We've had other things on tape. We had Eric Garner on tape. Ferguson and Eric Garner kind of happened not too distantly from each other, kind of in the same way that, you know, we have these. uh, It's not just George Floyd, but it's also, as we talked about, Ahmaud Arbery that we talked before. Breonna Taylor. Exactly. But... The way that this has gripped the nation, this has sparked protests in every single one of the 50 states. And all over the world. And all over, exactly, all over the world. I was watching protests in Italy, in Greece, in London, like all of these different, different places. Yeah, one of my friends reached out from Australia and said, hey, like we're standing in in solidarity with you. But I think part of it is, you know, in some ways the world kind of stopped in mid-March, right? Yeah. With, with the pandemic. So I think there's like frustration, there's fear. And, you know, a lot of people, they don't have a job of mm-hmm. or responsibility to go to, like that type of responsibility to tend to right now. So people have time and like they have pent up energy and frustration and anger. So I think that's contributing to uh, some of the outward expressions of demonstrations that we're seeing around the country. Yeah, I think also eight minutes and 46 seconds is just jarring. Yo, did y'all see that Dave Chappelle? Yes, I did. You watched it with me, right? Oh, say I was in the background. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he has some really not nice things to say about Candace Owens. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to... Owens deserve nice things. Uh, I'm going to go with... Uh... <laughs> You're not going to stand up for your soror here? Who? She is not a, a member of my sorority. Okay, don't do me like that. Candace Owens, I don't, I'm not a fan. And so it's very hard for me to defend her on any grounds because the stuff that she just lets fly out of her mouth are actually harmful and are actually dangerous. The way that she talks about like the trans community is abhorrent. The ways that she just makes facts up, facts out of nowhere. So you know what? Dave Chappelle said what he said and um, <clears throat> he said what he said. <laughs> Yep. Maybe maybe at at. some point we can like really analyze Candace Owens on the show, but we should. She's not worthy of this discussion today, y'all. So nah. But the Dave Chappelle was one of the things that I liked about it was he was just like, now is not even the time for comedy. Like he didn't say that, but he got up there and he was like, I'm not gonna crack a single joke right now. I mean, some of the things he's just naturally funny, but he just like kind of jumped in and was like, this is this is some shit. (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, something I did know was that the officer who killed John Crawford mm-hmm. stopped Dave Chappelle the day before. Yeah, that was really jarring for me. Yeah. That was super jarring for me. I think, though, the ways that not only have we seen this national uprising, international uprising of the people, but it's really sparked a lot of conversations for me that I just hadn't, I never had before with just all sorts of people, right? So I think that there is this notion that Black people, we are already talking about race, And we are in ways particularly that white people are not because we are forced to have those conversations. But I've also had to have a lot of conversations with just like my mom, right? Like talking about whether or not abolishing the police, defunding the police, how that relates to police in schools. Right. Right. And that's not a conversation that we had ever had before. We both worked in the school systems and we have never discussed policing in schools. But that's really like pushed forward that conversation in a a lot of different ways. And so I think it's poignant and, you know, totally unintentional that we are recording on Juneteenth. But that's that's another national conversation that's been pushed in a w- in ways that it had not been pushed prior to. I don't know if either one of you have had conversations that have just been like I've I've been talking about things with people in a way that I just haven't been before. Well, I've actually had a few conversations recently that I wasn't expecting or I didn't realize that I'd never had. One, I talked to my mother about police brutality for the first time in 30 something years last week and uh she just asked me about my experience and I realized how distant of an experience uh distant people keep the subject within our own community or just in general in society so it has been very interesting uh recently just uh talking to different people and hearing their perspective in the ways that we think we need to move when you say it was kept distant like what do you mean so I gave my black mother the gift of uh, thinking that her son was safe at all points in time just because I thought that police brutality was normal for black men. Uh, it was just something that you naturally go through. It just happens. And I have a phrase of not bringing trouble to a doorstep. And I just didn't want my mother to have to worry about me regardless of it. I, it's normal to get your head hit in every once in a while or, hey, you might get detained for a moment. Yeah. But I realized that in that moment I was really holding her back from giving her the agency to say, hey, my son shouldn't have to go through this or let's make a change. So really just taking away that power. And it was interesting we never had that conversation in those 32 years. So So were you protecting her or were you not saying forgetting or were you trying to like just create distance in your own mind from those experiences? You know, if you'd asked me a year ago, I'd probably say I was trying to create distance in my own mind about it. But The events recently, especially uh, George Floyd calling out for his mother, I think that's Mm. what prompted her to ask me about it. And I realized, you know, I never had a problem sharing these experiences with my friends. I don't think I had an issue saying, oh, yeah, had a run in with the police to my father. But my mother always got a sanitized story. Mm. It was always, hey, you know, something happened, but I'm okay. It was never, hey, this is a this is a problem for me today. I can't handle it. So but I think it was more. I think it was more on her end. I knew how she would react. I knew that heavy, you worry about me going to the grocery store. I'm definitely not going to tell you about the time. I can't, it took me a while to get home or the reason it took me a while to get home. So it's one of those things that at the beginning, I thought it was about me. But as I've thought about it over the past week or so, it was definitely uh, more about her in that moment. So we'll see how that goes moving <laughs> forward. Yeah. You know, like you saying that when I first really, really became a fan of Michelle Obama, I love like, her. I was like, wow, like she keeps it real. It was 
2007, 2008, they were on 60 Minutes. And I think Ed Bradley interviewed them. And the question was, like, are you fearful that your husband is running for president of the United States? He could be killed. Mm. And Michelle Obama, like, paused for a second and she looked and she said, Barack Obama is a black man who lives in Chicago. He can get killed at the gas station just because he's a black man in Chicago. We can't live in fear, right? Preach. And so it was like really poignant because like, wow, like she's saying something that I could see my mother saying, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. But it's just really, really interesting. I think these dynamics and other situations, because for me, I did give my mother like a sanitized version with police initially, but then she was with me during one of those traumatic events that I had traumatic encounters. And so I think, from that point, so I'm my mother's only son. And I think from that point, the way we connected on it was a little bit different. But like my family, we had to talk after Amadou Diallo. Yeah, I remember you telling me. And, you know, just saying, hey, like basically do whatever you have to do to live and we'll take care of it later. But it's, it's definitely really interesting how like different families how they navigate those spaces. Yeah, that's just like one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot because I think that there's been a lot of conversation about the ways that white people in particular are addressing this uprising and this conversation. But I think one of the things that I've just been really interested in is how this is likewise transforming the black community in response to this, right? So I know that there have been a lot of instances where people are waking up to things, particularly white people are waking up to things that black people were like, we know, we've been here. We've we've known that forever. This is my lived experience. This is my lived experience. But I think it's also changing the way how we are communicating with one another about these shared experiences that we're having, right? I did not have a talk with my parents about police. I was present when my brothers had that conversation. How old were they? Honestly, I cannot remember. I know that they were young. They were young. They were younger than me, probably fifth grade-ish. I do remember my parents having that conversation again with my youngest brother because of you know, he was going to a school that was going to be majority people who didn't look like him and they wanted to make sure that he understood that the police were not going to treat him like they were treating them kids. And so I remember that conversation again. So that that had to have happened with him when he was in high school. But I know that my brothers and I sat and watched the Trayvon Martin case like Like, I think I took a picture and I put it on my Instagram, which I no longer have. I have to see if I find the picture. But we were, they in particular, were glued to the screen. But I still don't think that we have had the same type of conversations following the Trayvon Martin case that we have had given this global uprising. The other night, we talked for hours. It was him, his friend, his friend's girlfriend, my brother, my brother's girlfriend. And just really, really looking at the ways that systemic racism is just so insidious and it's everywhere and it's something that you can't you can't move away from no one can get away from at this point in stage and I think there's like the awareness of that is shaping not just white people but it's shaping everybody in a way that it hasn't before you know like in some ways I think that as oppressive as systemic racism is like when it's overt I think they are like incredibly covert ways of like oppression as well right oh yeah like how many of us really don't have space to heal after we like 
see that traumatic video mm. or if you are the proverbial black friend to someone mm-hmm. and they want you to like process everything for them or help me with my statement for my company of and so like i think it's a fine line between like and Danielle, you and I kind of got on this rant last night about allyship, right? Accomplices. You know, I don't like that second word. Right. We'll go into that. <laughs> but like, like, how do you kind of navigate this space, right? Like, how do you tell people, "Hey, look, man, I'm just having a bad day. I just need to process this for myself," instead of like always having this super like public and accessible manner to yourself like how how maybe that's a solution that we can come up with today like things that people can do to like heal themselves mm. and and honestly a lot of this healing will not come overnight right like right. it won't and i think that's something else when someone dies in our family we say oh just take the time that you need I'm going to pray for you, but like when you see like a public lynching, Mm -hmm. there's no period, no space, no grace. It's just like, yo, like, what's up? And and even down to like in the workplace, I'm so thankful for employers who are like creating these spaces now for us to talk and communicate and like express ourselves. But yo, like. I needed these spaces when when Trayvon was killed, when when Michael Brown was killed. Like, mm-hmm. and so it's almost like they're only looking at this one specific incident and this one specific tragedy. And you know, like I tweeted something to the effect of, "Yo, if you think this is only about like the demonstrations, right, right. If you think this is only about George Floyd, you aren't listening or you don't care to do so." Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I So Talita, actually, she was a guest on our show um, before, one of my best friends. She texted uh, in the group chat another uh, one of my fantastic friends, Amber and I. Birthday twin. Yes, that is your birthday twin. She asked, like, have your white friends been reaching out to you for help? And one of the things that I, or just not help, but like guidance or questions. And one of the things that I am so grateful for is that I have uh, a group of, of, of white friends that I made at William & Mary where we've had conversations like this and I've been very explicit about do not ask me for help when I am hurting, right? If you are really about this type of like liberation, anti-racist type thing, then you're going to ask me about ways that you can be helpful when things are good so that when things go bad, I don't have to worry about it, right? And so like I'm grateful to like Liz, Liz Powell, who was my freshman roommate, who has just been like literally just texting me and saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. Don't even respond. I'm just letting you know. Or, hey, these are the things that I have done at my company. The like doesn't require energy of me. It doesn't require response of me. And I think that that's something that I'm truly grateful for because that is releasing the labor off of me and releasing the labor off of other people. Like Mary Catherine Gavin, uh, another really, really good friend of mine who is just, again, like, you don't even have to text me back. Just checking in. Because you know what? There have been days where I haven't been able to text people back, particularly if you're white. Just because I just don't have the emotional energy or the space to carry it. Not because I don't love you. Not because we can't have this conversation one day, but we can't have it right now. And that's been something that I've been really, really sitting with and figuring out ways that people just need to know, like, you don't have to text nobody back. 
You don't have to answer no emails. You don't have to do anything that you don't need to do that's not putting you first because it's kind of like what they talk about on the airplanes, right? You, you know, in the case of oxygen, I don't know, oxygen de- depletion, <laughs> you put your mask on first before you can assist anybody else. And I really think that that's one of the things that we have to be doing. We need to be putting our mask on first. We need to be taking care of ourselves first before we do anything else. And before I move any on, I just really have to comment on this this new thing called accomplices. And I think that that's really interesting where people are saying that we don't like the term ally. Ally is problematic. Ally is not an identity. I agree. The allyship is not an identity. It is not something that you can assign to yourself. But they're replacing it with this term accomplices. And for me, I don't like it. An accomplice is someone who is aiding someone else in doing something criminal. You can look up the definition. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that's exactly what it means. And I understand that they're trying to say, like, you have to be complicit. So when when things pop off, when things go down, you're not just passing out aid. You're right next to me helping me carry something out. When 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 we go to jail, if you an accomplice, you an accessory, you going to jail too. But I think it really feeds into this criminality of blackness in a way that makes me deeply uncomfortable. Why do you have to be an accomplice to my criminality? It automatically assumes that I am criminal in what I am doing. And that makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it. Don't nobody tell me you my accomplice because I don't want you feeding into any sort of criminality. That's even saying that the laws that we may be breaking and the laws that we might be bucking and by doing so also makes us criminal. Maybe those laws are just trash and I'm not criminal for asserting that this X, Y, and Z doesn't need to exist. Yeah, I I mean, I told my uncle the other day because he was talking about like people need respect authority and not burn up their own communities. I was like, yo, like with all due respect, Slavery was legal in this country, right? Exactly. So are you telling me that you'd be like, okay, like, I'm just going to go along and get along because I'm just going to follow the law? Like, there have been a number of laws that were just wrong. There are a number of laws that are wrong. But anyway. Those uh, laws are criminal. Bucking criminal laws does not make you a criminal. Yeah, so, like, the ally accomplice thing, like. I hate it. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I, I don't. I don't feel like there's automatically a negative connotation with using the word accomplice, but I definitely understand and respect where you're coming from with that. I think the best example that I can remember of seeing someone and being like, yo, like they are really about this was in Sacramento after Stefan Clark was killed and his brother was going to City Hall and like turning up in there. And I don't know if you remember, like, what we exchanged uh, texts about it. Yeah. Like, there was a video where the police came and, like, started telling him he couldn't do this. He couldn't use profanity. Right, right, right. And then, like, these two white folks came up and stood beside him. And, like, the entire interaction changed. It was, like, because they were there using their privilege, then he could say and do everything that he needed to say and do. I guess you could play, like, I won't. I won't minimize what you're saying. So, yeah, no, I know I, what you mean. Like, I, I don't want to say, like, you can play semantics, but, you know, like, is there a better term? Yeah, we probably can find a better term. And, you know, like, that goes into my whole soapbox about messaging and how, like. It just turns me off. I wonder how many people are turned off by, by that. I just feel like, like it feeds into a, a criminality that we're already struggling. I mean, everybody has. I, I mean, I mean, this but... narrative about black criminality is like extremely legit, well researched, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, what do you think, Elliot? I was gonna say, uh, it does seem like all the terms that uh, 
partner doesn't seem like the correct term to use here, but it seems like all the terms are either negative or neutral. I feel very, uh, very much so that ally is a neutral term. It doesn't really, it means like, hey, I'll support you if you're, uh, if you make it, but also I'll be here if you don't. But in uh, accomplice, I definitely, it just does sound like, hey, I was here when you, uh, I was here when you committed this crime. But I think the biggest thing, and especially with the messaging behind those words, is it always puts black people in the front of the uh, fight as opposed to saying, hey, I'm here with you. And we've reached a point, at least uh, to me in 2020, the biggest difference uh, in all of this is people understanding that it's not black people's fight for their own uh, freedom and equality because it's not black people holding themselves back. That might have been a narrative that people had years ago. It's a narrative that we had months ago. But honestly, black people have been doing this fight, for, like you said, 400 years, longer than that, just dealing with it. So just trying to find really an understanding of a word that fits there is going to be difficult. What I appreciate most about this, just this period of time, really is people taking that understanding and saying, how can I help? Not a we, not what, what can you do? How can I support you? But how can I, what can I do in my home, in my community, uh, in my space to really change this? Because I think that uh, black people have their own community. We're working through our own issues, but we're still part of a greater collective. And then understanding, really getting the message behind Black Lives Matter, that all lives matter, black lives have to matter. I hate saying all lives matter. I tried to avoid it. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's really- I was waiting on you to say, I knew you had to use yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I, I was like, ah, I really don't want to be there. But really just understanding that sentiment behind it and really getting behind it, that's the only glimmer of hope that I've had in these past couple weeks almost. So- yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that I I think that I see two sides to to both of like what's been said, particularly about like black people out in front. Like I think that in terms of this movement, direction needs to be given from the most marginalized populations. Like we've talked about like black trans lives and making sure that we're particularly centering black trans women in in this fight. But at the same time, it's exactly what you said. I think it's actually W.E.B. Du Bois said it like a century ago, basically, that the race problem is the white man's problem. Like it's not it's not necessarily the responsibility of black people to free themselves from oppression. It has to be something that the oppressors do. In that context. And, you know, that soundbite is probably going to come back to bite me if I ever decide to run for political office. You know, that I, <laughs> it just reminded me of something <laughs> Tykeen said earlier about uh, <laughs> it's not up to the oppressed, it's the oppressors, uh, it's the oppressors uh, doing. And it reminded me of, I think you said it was your uncle uh, saying you don't like when people, they don't like when people destroy their communities or their own uh, spaces. And I think it's very, uh, it's, a, it's a poignant, uh, it's a poignant point to have people have black know that black people don't always have a space, even in the spaces and the communities that we think uh, that we think that they have and like they possess. That's not actually theirs. Someone else owns that. They rent that space from. Uh, they rent that space from someone, mm -hmm, and it's been very mm -hmm. rare in America, in the world, but especially in America, that change happens without severe disruption. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and so yeah. I always, I always, uh, I always think about that with that point where nothing happens in a very few things happen in a peaceful manner in America, and if they do happen in a peaceful uh, manner, somebody got paid off of it. So <laughs> <laughs> those how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I mean, speaking of like these exclusive black spaces, right? Trump will be in one of those communities tomorrow, Tulsa. Tulsa. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's probably Wall already Street. there today. He was supposed to be there Ignorant. today, and yeah, <laughs> they got a little backlash. Yeah. Ignorant. Um, you know, they just celebrate the 99th 
I mean, I don't want to say celebrated. Yeah, honored, commemorated, I yeah. guess is a better word. The 99th really. anniversary of the Black Wall Street bombing, right? Mm-hmm. And like that was a black space. Right. And so, I mean, to kind of pivot a little bit, right? I really hate, and it's like, I'd rather hear ice fall in a glass or nails on a chalkboard. <sighs> <laughs> then hear someone say, well, don't destroy. Like, come on, man. Like, I, I mean, you don't have to do that. Like, honestly, like, I'm prefaced by saying I'm not condoning. You don't need to preface it. I, I, I'm not condoning it. But at the same time, are you really here telling me that you care more about property than than a black life? In America, the answer is always yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's been my argument from the jump. Like, my biggest thing is please don't say nothing out of your mouth about no Target if you haven't said anything to me about black people dying in the streets. You know, the interesting thing about Target is as well, you know, isn't Target's headquarters in Minneapolis? I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I don't know if it was just by happenstance that, that Target, it was, for lack of better words, was the Target. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. For me, it's always, it's always, always going to be people over property. It's always going to be most of the people that the United States upholds, right? The quote unquote founding fathers were slaveholders, were rapists, were all sorts. You know, I'm going to just put it on the table. Confederate generals. Were Confederate generals, were people who like were disingenuous, who uh, were conniving in a lot of different ways. And they are who celebrating. Who will claim their black family. Right. <laughs> okay. You have the Tea Party. We have the whole, like, this far right wing space in conservatism around tea partying, which is basically the celebration of the destruction of property. America was founded with looting. Like, so. like. Let's talk about it. Looting, murder, <laughs> I, <it> was, <laughs> like, destruction i know christopher columbus right right oh my i mean it's just for me it's just like you cannot uphold one and not uphold the other you're just upset because it is inconveniencing you and that's what it is for most people who are upset about this they are minorly if at all being inconvenienced and that's and that's what it is and so for me it's i'm I'm a person that I feel like if things, as long as we are one, also planning on the side, right? So we take stuff over. We also have to have our plans for what we do afterwards, right? When we're when we're restructuring society, because Lord knows that society needs to be restructured. But I'm also never going to tell somebody that has no fresh groceries, has no access to health care, ain't got has, water, to doesn't drink. have water to drink, and even if they have all of those things, I'm not going to tell them how they need to be disruptive. Because you know what? Everybody else has been doing X. Y and Z and they still been ignoring us. They've been ignoring us for 450 years. The only way that we get stuff is when we make it through is when we make it through active like destruction. And I feel like out of the ashes will come something better. No, I definitely can agree with that. Who is it? I think that um we do have to be conscious in this moment of these moments and movements are really organic and you can write the history later on. People write the history about things after the fact. Literally, that's the definition. But uh, in those moments, things are hectic and disruptive. And you really just need to 
be focused on what your end goal is and how the end goal should be implemented in the uh in the after effect america's an interesting place and <laughs> hella interesting we do have to uh, the nice way to say it i would say the good thing that is is that it's open for change you just have to be willing to do it so yeah i think one of the things that i've been the most interested in has been the conversation around um defunding and abolishing the police and i've had several conversations with several individuals about what that means and to be quite honest it looks different based on and it should look different based off of the community wants and needs as it relates if a community is abolishing the police as in there is no more policing of bodies in any way shape or form particularly brown black and um other marginalized bodies whether they be disabled or uh trans or what have you along the lines of these populations of marginalization, um, then that's what it is. For other people, defunding me is merely a tactic, like step one, before you get to abolishing the police. But one of the things that I'm really interested in is how people are getting this messaging out about what defunding the police is, how they are restructuring. Because I, I think one of the things that I would love people to see is Camden, New Jersey, police force, didn't they defund their police? I'll say they completely abolished it and reinstated it. I think that's the other, like you're saying. They, the they fired yeah. every single police officer, right? Definition, yeah, they, they fired every single police officer that was on the force, then did interviews to rehire those same uh, police officers. So that way they could get, not around the police union, but uh, around the different circumstances that really hold you back and stop people from doing that. And this happened in 2017, mind you. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, something that can happen regularly or anytime. So. Yeah. And they did it and it wasn't a huge hoopla. But not only that, it's what's really interesting about this is that they had, I think the population is like 48% black, um, something in the 40s, Latinx, uh, a low population of, I think, white people. The average the median income for Camden, New Jersey, where they have they abolished the police and completely restructured their system of policing, abolished their previous police force. The average, I think they said salary was like eighteen thousand dollars a year. That was the median income. Right. And the rate of arrests and crime have dropped dramatically. I want to see a say like arrests and dropped by, by or crime itself decreased by like 32 percent that's one third say, and i'd say that's definitely uh and that speaks to uh what's going on because a lot of time there's confusion between the abolished police and the defund the police uh or they get grouped into being almost the same thing and there's different ways that you can really implement both of those uh issues you could do like Camden, where you abolish the police and you really clean out uh any bad actors your bad apples is the term that we love using here in uh america nowadays yeah. the bad apples uh, among the police department phrase. i do too it's a it's a horrible analogy because one bad apple really does ruin the bunch. <laughs> it like, ruins the, the whole, whole, the whole bunch. thing. Is, <laughs> you the have to toss point. the whole thing out. And so it's one of those ones that works good in passing. But uh, it is something that uh, you could do. Uh, it's really abolishing is more about starting over. or Even reducing uh, can be a form of uh, abolition. Uh, I often talk to my, I've been talking to my friends about, hey, you know, this in America is the only place they police like this. Oh, uh, yeah. In the UK, they don't carry, who is they don't carry guns. They show it with uh, five people show it with some billy clubs. And if they can't fix it, they actually call in a specialist. <laughs> right. and only that person gets to have a gun because he has to have a report every time he comes out or something along those lines. I often uh, I'm a big proponent of defunding the uh, 
police in general. Uh, that doesn't mean that we're cutting into people's salaries or anything of that. That the means clarification. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's a bigger point. Is no one's looking to take away uh, people's livelihood in this uh, in this moment. I think it's more so how they receive that livelihood and where they go about it. Uh, I mean, they took away George Floyd's livelihood. They, I mean, they, they, they took away his life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's a. One of the things is, but especially there is there's a lot of different programs and instances that end up being uh, pervasive and negative that come uh, that come up. So when people say defund, they mean take away from those particular programs and then take away give from, to exactly take away from. Take they don't away need from SWAT a, cars, <laughs> y'all. They don't need them. Exactly. You don't need uh, we don't need to have uh, excess surplus uh, military equipment sold from the U.S. government nope. into local police departments of in towns that have a population of 30,000. Uh, <laughs> like Marville. Yeah. yeah, you know, I don't need to see the tank come down the uh, come down the street in Lynchburg. That's clearly a. Uh... Oh, you mean <laughs> to tell me that you don't need a parade for the tanks? <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's a pastime we miss often in this country. <laughs> so, but just taking, uh, I think that defunding and just understanding, hey, this budget isn't actually what they need to do this job. Uh, they didn't it's need that not. budget uh, last job. Um, there's a point that's going around uh, that's going around social media with the school department itself has been defunded for years and mm-hmm. they've been getting along just fine. It's the same thing there. Let's hey, let's cut this a little bit off the budget and bring it back down. So cut a lot off the budget. So solutions. Coop, what are you thinking? Where do we start? I don't know. <laughs> so I released a pro family and community agenda today. Whoop, whoop. That touched on a, a number of different things. And I, I think the important thing when you look at this agenda and it's on medium, I'm sure it's probably like one of the only if you Google pro family and community agenda, it's probably one of the only things you're going to see. But this isn't like an exhaustive list. This is only the beginning. And some of these things like it's going to take some investments from local government. It's going to take some investments from the corporate sector. It's going to take some investments from philanthropy. Um but I think these are things that we have to do. Like if you really, really care and, you know, if you ran on this premise of equity and in creating the same opportunities for people, regardless of their zip code or the situations that they were born into, like financially, I think like, I think these are steps that we have to seriously consider. So the agenda is broken down into seven steps, workforce development. Wealth building, housing, education, food, health care. Was that seven? I don't know. I won't count. Um, I think that was all seven. They can, they can go pick, uh, look it up just in case. Yeah. But um, those are kind of solutions. And I want to go to Elliot. What are your solutions? Then we're going to end with Danielle. All right. Because I got a challenge for her. <laughs> Perfect. I'm really into focusing in the community. I think that uh, police officers should be paid extra to live in the community that they're policing. Um I think that the range that they're policing and the differences there should be shrunk so that they could focus and really get back to the root of it, of serving, protecting the community that you're in, not necessarily the one that you're being paid for. Dr. Claude Anderson so. said that police were never designed, like police oh. were always designed to protect property, but it was property oh. owned by white folks. Right? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, again, what matters in America is property. Uh, we can think that uh, things there and it shouldn't be right. Life should matter in America. Uh, the pursuit of happiness should matter in America. But the things that were written down in that constitution that are enshrined are property. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the police force from the very beginning, the slave patrols, they're all just uh, they're all just in line of 
really protecting the people's rights of property. What I'm saying is in America, since that lens has been shifted, maybe we should follow that lens and allow them to protect and serve the people and not just the interests that are uh, an interest and rights that are attached to uh, physical property. So, yeah, I think that that's something, you know, people are going to give you hell because you said play a police officer's extra, right? You should also. They should also be able to be fired, jailed, and uh, <laughs> convicted when they do wrong. I think they should have the same standards the rest of us do. Oh, so <laughs> I was just, I was just, you know, just had checked, just had checked, you know. I think for me, one of my solutions and something that I hope other people are going to be engaging in more is, and I've kind of been checked on this as I'm always telling people to read. And, you know, one of my brothers said, you know, not everybody takes in information in that way. Um, And that's part of the reason why we have this podcast. But like, that's always my go to is like, we need to be reading. Um, We need to be making sure that we're understanding how community and and if, if we're not reading, we still need to be engaging in productive conversations with other people who are engaging in these thought processes. We need to be ideating. We need to be theorizing. We need to be about thinking about this in a way that so when we come back in, you know, 50 years from now, this is not something that we have to sit through again. Right. I think I read somewhere that there was a statistician who predicted that we were going to have these crazy upheavals in 2020. And he predicted it like 10 years ago and people thought he was crazy. And he was just like, no, I looked at the data. I don't want in 50 years for us to have or 70 years or however long his prediction is to have these same issues. And so one of the solutions that I'm I, I'm really interested in, particularly around this like J. Cole, no name, back and forth that they had over Twitter, over intellectualism. I want us to one, for those of us who do process things through reading, we need to be reading things like our prisons obsolete. Right. So why don't you start the book club? Well, that's what I. Here we go. Uh, And but then ain't no no free lunch book club. We might. I mean, I mean, ain't no might. I would be into it. We could do it on Facebook Live. Y'all let me know. But like for those of us who are reading, I don't have Facebook. But exactly. So I guess we (laughs) can Zoom. We don't support Mark Zuckerberg. Um, But anyway, like a Zoom, I guess. But yeah, like for those of us who are engaging and do process things through through, you know, reading, then, you know, take it and and help other people process it, help other people learn it. Um, Not everybody who doesn't read is lazy or ignorant or has or doesn't care. And so, like, that's something that I'm teaching myself, that there are so many things that I need to really be thinking about how abolishing and defunding the police looks like for me. Like, you heard what it looks like for other people, but I don't know what I want it to look like. And so I really need to engage with that um, on a personal level. And so I guess my solution is, is, is something that's, like, on a very minute. So you have your agenda that's that's wide sweeping that can go from you know city to city or what have you and then like Elliot has a wide sweeping one mine is just like we need to be thinking about ways as individuals we can be intellectualizing this so when we have boots on the ground we're meeting both theory and action a theory and praxis in the words of Bell Hooks who's pulling from Paulo Freire yes I did read it so like having that kind of community so maybe we might have to have a book club we, we might I mean I'd be down Maybe. I mean, if the people want it, you know what I'm saying? All right. So that means within the next couple of days, we're going to accept like participants and we're going to get there, like send us an email or send us a text and then we'll kind of map out the book club. At Ain't No Free Lunch on Twitter. Tweet us. Let us know. All right. So uh, did we eat today? I think we ate today. Elliot was kind of trying to be shy at the beginning, but we we got him ramped up by the end. I'm still a little shy. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think we ate. We offered some. How can people, people reach you, Ellie, if they want to give you some oh, hate yeah. mail? Oh, there's uh, lots of ways to reach me. Uh, <laughs> oh, matter of fact, Ellie, why don't you go ahead and tell us about your project, like your baby, right? Like, oh. That, that changes <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Because that changes a little bit. In light of the pandemic. Oh, yeah, it does. Um, so I'm actually vice president of a nonprofit. It's the SVGS Foundation, Seeking seeking Visions, Gaining Success. Uh, we focus on sending and keeping black males in uh, HBCUs and also supporting the communities that they come from and serve. Uh, it's a merit-based scholarship uh, that we give out to black males that choose to attend HBCUs annually uh this year we've actually just finalized our uh <laughs> finalized our uh, recipients we can't make any big announcements uh, unfortunately on the podcast uh, <laughs> it's supposed to come up later on this weekend but uh go ahead we'll, and it. <laughs> we'll hold off on dropping them <laughs> Yo, go ahead and announce it. i'll say but i will say we do uh during this time uh we are accepting don uh donations we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization uh and you can check us out at svgsfoundation.org yes so they, uh please hard. check it out let's help send some black kids to uh, school that's bay y'all <laughs> <laughs> here she <Jackie's> goes <laughs> So that's who we saw those Jordans in the background uh-huh. a couple of weeks ago. You see ago. him on his feet right now. I was say <laughs> she was pump faking. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Thank you.